everyone, and welcome back to another episode of N-Express Nintendo Podcast, the official Nintendo podcast of Goombastomp.com. I'm your host, Cameron Dax, and joining us, we have games editor, Mark Kalaroff. started so fast, I couldn't even think of anything to say. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know what? I had, to, I had to tell myself to slow down, so I'm going to try to take it low and slow as we keep on going here. Also with us is indie games editor, Campbell Gill. E3 may be over, but I'm not. <laughs> yes, Campbell's never over. Uh, and jo- joining us for the first time, we have uh, a freelance writer for Goombastomp.com, James Cook. James, say hi. Hello, hello. Pleasure to be here. What a delight to have you. Uh, what's what's the... <laughs> I was going to say, what's the weather like over there? But that's that's a dumb a dumb thing to ask you. So instead, <laughs> I, I want to no ask idea. you is, uh, what what is uh, what is it like at at 2.15 in the morning over uh, over where you are? It's wonderful. It's quiet. I can't hear any other noises. You know, I have a glass of water with me. I'm trying not to fall asleep. Life is- <laughs> oh God, that's well, the hopefully- typical reaction of our guests on this show. So. Oh yeah, yeah. We we gotta we gotta keep them awake. Uh, we will do our best to keep the conversation engaging. And thank you so much for for coming uh, in the middle of the night over on your end. So we we do appreciate you. I'm uh, glad to have you on. Uh, this is uh, truly a delight. You are new, a new addition to the website. Your articles are great, and we, we really enjoy uh, having having new guests kind. on. So thank you thank so much. You. No, of course. Um, so uh, as Campbell alluded to in his intro, uh, E3 is dead. Long live E3. Uh, <laughs> the the E3 conference that was scheduled for 2022, or I should say rumored scheduled for 2022, has in fact been fully canceled. There will be no online E3. There will be no in-person E3. There will be no hybridized bastardization of E3 this year. Uh, how are we feeling about that? I'm just going to kind of open the floor to you guys. I mean, this is the third time in a row that E3 has died. So, like, <laughs> I, I guess this is the last time. It feels weird for there to be any sort of finality, because it feels like it dies a little more with each passing year. Even in 2019, when we actually had an in-person conference, it's just been continuing to wane. So it sure. feels weird for it to be actually over but i also don't think anyone will really miss it all that much with how the industry has changed in terms of announcements well it's, it's interesting so the last uh as you alluded to the last couple of years e3 has kind of been like kind of this herky-jerky like oh is it is it gonna end is it not um ever since some of the larger publishers started pulling out of the conference E3 has always kind of been like oh damn like you know if, if microsoft isn't going to be at e3 then like what are we doing um, as especially as as demonstrated in, in 2019, uh, Microsoft had its own press conference in the building across the street from where E3 was held, uh, which was kind of an interesting wrinkle to the whole proceedings. So, and that was like a, I think a day before, like the week before the 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 official E3 conference kicked off. So that was kind of a, it's kind of like if Microsoft is doing their own thing and they're having their own showcases and guests specially appearing just for Microsoft, and they're getting along fine. And then Jeff Keighley's announcing he's got his Summer Game Fest thing happening. It's like, okay, well, then do we, I don't know, do we need E3? Like, what, what's what's the what's the benefit to having an official E3 conference? Um, I don't know. Like, where, where do you guys land on that? Do you, do you think it's, I don't know, is it worth spending time thinking about? Is it, I don't know, is it worth spending a few a few breaths to, to mourn its passing? I mean, I know you got to go to uh, a few of them, Cameron. I did. So I, did. I can't speak on behalf of you, but on behalf of me, <laughs> I, yeah. I it doesn't affect me. I mean, Nintendo's sure. still going to do, you know, 
their yearly direct probably during the summer around that time. I'm sure we'll have something around Splatoon or something like that, you know, just during that time frame. So nothing really changes for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that is kind of the thing, is it? Like, listen, I, I went to, oh boy, two or three E3s, I can't remember. Uh, and I had a blast, a super fun time. Um, did not know how to network, just kind of ran around. Uh, it's a fun time to do that kind of thing. I feel like I wish I wish I could go to like an official E3 conference now because I feel like it would be a very different experience from our first couple of times going. Because the first couple of times it was there, it was literally there with some friends of like, I'm just going to run around and like play as many big games as I can and like, what a delight. But these days it's like, oh, now I, now I write for a gaming website. It's like, I feel like I could probably like try to set up interviews or try to try to go to some like exclusive uh you know previews that kind of thing it's like mm -hmm. i could use the position that i currently have to parlay into some more uh things so i i do i it's it's kind of frustrating to be like okay the last couple of years i've like made an effort to try to write more about games to you know we've been hosting this podcast for a long time now it's like those kinds of of uh I don't know, not not feats, but those kinds of uh, experiences could go a long way towards making E3 have a little bit more uh, impact, like at least in a career uh, sense. So it's no, like, I do, yeah, right. So I do miss like not having that aspect of it. But at the same time, it's like, well, at the end of the day, like E3 is mostly about showing up. You can you can only ever, you know, you can only sit in line for so long. You can only ever hit half the things you want to hit anyway, uh, unless you're like extremely good with budgeting your time. Uh, so I don't know, but I think that, I think the real draw is the human connection. Like it would have been so fun to have like the Goomba Stomp crew out there. Like <laughs> yeah, that would have been so freaking fun, you know? So who knows? Maybe, maybe 2023. Uh, James, what about you? I, I, I know you're out in the, out in the UK. Have you gotten the chance to ever attend an E3 or, or any, any conference like that? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, in owing to how not old I am. But it's kind of, yeah, it's pretty sad now that E3 is possibly not coming back. Sure. Because, you know, I grew up watching E3 conferences every year and getting really excited mm -hmm. in, in that sort of June period and watching all the game reviews. And there's, you know, that sort of golden age in 2016, 2017, when, you know, you've got Sony and Microsoft fighting to see who can have the best E3 conference. And... But at the same time, it kind of feels inevitable that this has happened because E3 has kind of lost some of that like spark of originality that now it's more about like just, you know, game announcements, the ads, the they sometimes Xbox has a car for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's true you know, they, they all do their own thing but but now i think we're we're in an age where each of the main publishers really does want to do their own thing like sony is pretty happy to do their occasional state of play things that range from pretty good to pretty underwhelming and you know nintendo does exactly the same thing i feel like maybe yeah things are going to be a bit more individual going forward yeah, I, I I think that I kind of agree with you. I think that is for the best. Like, like, uh, like, listen, we we all love a Nintendo Direct. Nintendo Directs, I think, are like the way to do a a digital showcase. Like, uh, that's that's the that's the template 
and uh, if if we have to replace like these big pre- these big conferences with those kinds of things going forward, I think that's ultimately a, a win. Like it's just easier in the in the long run. Um, you can kind of approach them at your own pace. Um, like, listen, I was I was at the Microsoft conference that Keanu Reeves randomly showed up at, and it was awesome. It was extremely <laughs> cool. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like, guess what? That game was not great. So it's like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, and I, I think, yeah. like, if you don't have those, uh, you know, referring to Cyberpunk uh, 2077, so it's like, that in-person thing, you kind of get blinded by the star power. You get blinded by the, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm in a room with Keanu Reeves. But it's like, okay, but if you're actually like looking at the thing that's in front of you, you can have a more critical eye. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing that happens. Like, uh, like yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I think Nintendo, when when they did, when Nintendo was doing E3 conferences. Um, one of the cool things that they would do is they would they would focus they would like hyper focus on a couple of things rather than like an hour long press conference bombarding you with trailers and movie stars and all kinds of crazy stuff like Nintendo on the show floor would be like hi we're focusing on Super Smash Brothers or we're focusing on Luigi's Mansion Three and like that was it. You know, and maybe you get a couple demos of some other games. Uh, Shoutouts to Silk Song, a demo I played four years ago, and will who knows the next time I'll ever see that game. Uh, it's like that kind of hyper focus, I think, is is necessary, and it's become a thing that will be easier to do if E3 goes away. You know, it's like you can focus on like like you just said, James, the state of play. That's like, hey, we're just gonna have a state of play on just Gran Turismo Seven or just Hogwarts Legacy. You know, I think I think that I think that's ultimately a good thing for publishers at least because they can kind of focus on the things they want to focus on. Um I don't know, but but on the other side of the coin and this is just me just playing devil's advocate. On the other side of the coin, it is cool to go onto a show floor and just wander around and find something that you never ever would have thought about in a million years. Like uh, what was that Dragon uh, Auto Runner Campbell that you reviewed a few year, a couple, a couple months oh, ago? Yeah, uh, uh, Evernight, I think. Yes, yeah, something night. Um, like that, like playing that game on the show floor in like the indie booth was a blast, and I never would have come across it otherwise. Like, because literally, you're just walking by, you glance over at a TV screen, and you see this insane looking. You know, there's a dragon and like all kinds of crazy stuff is happening on screen. It's like, okay, I got to sit down and play that. Like, those are the kinds of experiences that we lose, you know? So I don't know. It's, we, 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 we lose those kinds of person, the in-person connections. Mm-hmm. But I think we gain, like, there's a little bit more, um, I don't know what you want to call it, approachability. Like, indie devs, obviously, like, they don't have to fight for your attention in person. Mm-hmm. They can just, like hand a trailer off and put it in the direct you know yeah. so i guess that's ultimately a good thing i don't know it's... i think this is something that mark and i can both attest to just being that indie devs are exponentially better at doing virtual direct style presentations than <laughs> big, big budget publishers yeah. are like yeah. you watch one of those state of plays <laughs> it just feels like the best comparison i saw is where like a state of play feels like one of those maria menounos uh, compilations that play at movie theaters before the movie starts <laughs> it's just like a random series of advertisements whereas if you yeah. watch one of those like wholesome directs that have been coming out over it's like, like professionally months, made they're professionally made you can tell that they're made 
made with love. They're filled with adorable games about dogs and cats and all this wonderful <laughs> stuff. Like they're sweet and you can tell they're made with love and they're engaging to watch, you know? Yeah. And I think that really hits at the issue that we have with moving towards more remote presentations. Um, like Nintendo directs are great and the convenience and the streamlined nature of them are great, but you lose a lot of personality a lot of the time, you know, like if you look at some of Nintendo's old giant press conferences that they used to do back when they did in-person E3 presentations during the Wii era, like those have a lot, that's where you got the Reggie saying my body is ready and all these crazy moments, you know, whereas with <laughs> where you get Miyamoto, Miyamoto on stage trying to play that Skyward Sword. Or, oh, I like that we had two oh, separate examples music. of Miyamoto failing to play the Wii. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> But you see, that's uh, what you... Because if it was a pre-recorded Nintendo Direct, they would have made sure that he played Wii music correctly, you know? So, like, you right. lose that element of just live engagement, like you were kind of talking about. So it's really tough. I, I appreciate the convenience and the accessibility of developers and publishers being able to put the news in their own hands by doing their own presentations rather than being beholden to E3. But it is a shame to see a lot of that, that personality, a lot of the stuff that made these presentation so memorable kind of go away because well to be fair to that point campbell i feel like a lot of these um presentations have lost a lot of personality over the years including nintendo and it's because of that more um that stylized approach to keeping formal like nintendo it was like you know with uh, like even Bill Trinan, whatever he was doing, where he's like trapped in an elevator mm-hmm. or like micro-sized on a desk. Like they had all these ridiculous things going on. The yeah. Reginator, of course, of course, shooting lasers out of his eye. I will never forget Nintendo watch, yeah, watching that the first time and seeing like Reggie walking around. And I'm like, he just killed them. He killed his own employees. <laughs> like you're not going to see stuff like that except for maybe like devolver digital they're probably the only ones sure. who will um they continue to be the best president uh, yes yeah press conference people <laughs> they're a, a beast in their own right there is more than enough bloodshed we will see more sort of experimenting with the with the current presentations though do you think the state of plays and the nintendo directs will sort of you know shift and evolve over time i would hope so i would hope so because like the, the i I think I get what your point, what you're, what you're trying to say here. Like they are a bit static at this point. Like we, we've kind of grown accustomed to the okay. You show a big, you show a big splashy trailer, and then the developer comes out and goes, "You just saw Blood Tournament Seven, and here's what we have to say about it." Do you know what I mean? Like, like I would play press- Blood Tournament Seven. But- uh, well, I prefer Blood Tournament Five. You know? Oh really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, like, like I, I think they are becoming a bit formulaic in that way. So yeah, James, I would love to see more them take more risks with the way these things are presented. Um, yeah. Devolver, I think does do something interesting uh, where they try to make it interesting, like not just interesting, but funny. And like, like they, they, they're trying to make a skits and stuff like that. Uh, also one thing that we will miss if there's no longer any three uh, Devolver uh, famously would always uh, reserve a parking lot across the street from <laughs> from e3 where you could just show up eat some free food get a beer and just like play devolver games and it was always a always a delight very strange like uh, like very deliberately not tied to e3 you could just walk across the devolver booth it's very 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 fun what about Um, those protests that went outside like the ouya when they did that and they were like all these other consoles are screwed (laughs) 
Yeah, that's there's always something weird. Yeah, that's again, that's that's the stuff we miss. You know, you're not going to mm. see any more any more Ouya protests. I mean, I think, I I think things are the way they are at the moment, mostly because of that. There was this sort of community push for, you know, show us the games, show us the games. No more of this filler stuff in between. Right. Where they used to yeah. do silly gags that often didn't land, and they would waste time. There would be too many adverts, and people were saying, no, 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 just show us the games, show us the games. So now we've got a situation where they are sort of hyper-focusing on, okay, this game, you just saw this game, now this game, you just saw this game, go home, that's it. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe we'll start to see a resurgence in the silly gags and the, the filler stuff when people realize that they actually want more than just raw information. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's hard. Like, I think, we're, I think we're still kind of trying to find the trying to find that like connection at the end of the day it's all about connection right like, the thing that you that's the thing that we're all talking about here whether it's Miyamoto like trying and failing to play a Wii game or it's uh what was her name uh, Kumi Nakamura uh coming out on stage and saying it's spooky you know like we all want that human <laughs> connection at the end of the day and I think that's the thing that we miss with those live conferences because when it is just a slickly produced you know 45 minute package of trailer after trailer after trailer it starts to become flat and boring. So hopefully there's going to be some kind of middle ground. Um, maybe maybe uh, Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest will fill that void. Uh, we don't know. Jeff uh, Keighley knows, needs maybe... to do some sort of stand-up routine or like a clown show in between. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jeff Keighley, if Jeff Keighley did a stand-up routine, it would be just a train wreck. I, I would watch the hell out of that. Uh, so who knows? Maybe who knows? Maybe E3 will come roaring back in 2023 with kind of a revamped formula. Like, that would be awesome. Um, like, because we, you know, we are all, at the end of the day, people who love video games and like, despite how good the online infrastructure of a lot of game services are these days, it is ultimately more fun just to sit in a room and, like, chat with your friends and play games together and talk about games together. Like, there's, there, that's the thing that we are all missing, I think, especially mm -hmm. after, you know, two, three years of quarantine. Uh, there's so, one you know, thing I won't miss, though. Sure. I attended last year's digital E3 and it was like yeah. one of the worst things imaginable. Like they, they basically tried to make their own Twitter for E3 and it was only for press. That's like the best way to describe it. And it was just awful. Just the whole thing was just awful. Yeah. So I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> that is, you know, that fades away. We do something right. <laughs> a little more, a little more focused on just like people and, and the games that we produce, you know? So I don't know. Any other final thoughts about uh, about this cancellation of E3 2022? I don't think so. I think we've about about wrapped that up. <laughs> there are no more thoughts. <laughs> There's no more thoughts. There's no more thoughts. Uh, the whole topic. Uh, yeah, we we we've we've exhausted every angle. I think uh, I think we've very safely said that. So we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back, and uh, James and I are going to rant and rave about an upcoming Switch port for a game that came out on PlayStation 4 a couple of years ago called 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. So hang tight, stay tuned, we'll be right back.
Okay, and we're back. So, uh, James, uh, you and I are going to have pretty ex- pretty different experiences about this next topic that we are talking about. Um, the 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, uh, formerly a PlayStation 4 exclusive, uh, soon to be released on the Nintendo Switch next week, I believe, uh, April 12th. Uh, so we've got a little bit of time before it comes to Switch, but uh, I've been playing it. I've been absolutely loving it. Uh, that said, I'm not very far in this game. Um, like all things considered, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty chunky game. I think we it can is. all agree, right? Uh, and I'm I'm assuming you are because uh, you played this game. You said what a year ago, a couple years ago. I played it at the tail end of 2020. Yeah, the, the tail end of 2020. Okay, so so you played it all, pretty much when it came out. I think so. I don't actually remember when it came out specifically. Yeah, I, d- I just know it came out in in 2020. Um, yeah, but you but you you completed the game. I beat it. Yep. And awesome. Then I put it down uh, and I haven't touched it since because it's that kind of game. It's not. It's that kind of a game. It's one of those yeah. games where you, I, I like the more I'm playing it, the more I'm like, damn! Like you have to really sit with the concepts that are being explored. Yeah. Uh, in this game, uh, so let, let's kind of go over a little bit of the structure of this game. I think the structure of Thirteen Sentinels is one of the most fascinating structures I have ever experienced in a video game. Like, I'm every time I go to the main menu screen, and it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to explore uh, the characters, the protagonist backstories, or do you want to battle giant monsters? I'm like, I love this structure so much. Um, okay, so 13 Sentinels. Let's 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 kind of give a high level overview. Of uh, of this game, okay. I think it's sort of difficult to talk about and describe. Yeah, but l- it's let's do our best here. The, the video game that nobody who's played it can talk about because it's we're gonna do our spoilers. we're gonna do our best because Camp Campbell and Mark have not played this game. So I think as a fun exercise, let us talk about this game as if we are explaining it to two boys who don't know what it is. Uh, which <laughs> okay. which is I do plan on getting it eventually. <laughs> so just yeah, Mark. <laughs> Go, Go ahead, Campbell. I was just going to say this is a purely hypothetical exercise, though, as if there were two people. Oh, it's people purely in the hypothetical. No, I haven't uh, played uh, the game. Gotcha. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, Mark. I think uh, knowing what I do about about your taste in games, I think you would love it. Um, but I think the thing to keep in mind is that the if you've watched any trailers for this game, I think they really hype up the the battles and like the action, when truthfully that is not the draw of this game. Absolutely. Right, uh, James. Why don't you talk a little bit about like what? Do, what do you think is so intriguing about Thirteen Sentinels? Yeah, obviously. So Thirteen Sentinels is one of the most interesting um, story structures I've ever seen in a game because it starts off very simple. I think possibly you only start off with access to one protagonist, and you have to do the sort of tutorial missions and stuff. Yes. And it, it shows you the little combat bits, and you're like, oh, okay, cool, there's combat bits, but I heard this was a story game. And there's a lot of story when you suddenly realize there are 12 other main characters to play as who all have their own stories that all link together into one giant story. Yeah. And they loop around, and you start seeing different that you start seeing the same scene multiple times from different perspectives and then there's also mech combat and it gets overwhelming pretty quickly but it's a fantastic experience yes it's it's uh it's it's so the only word i could think of is stimulating like everything about it is like firing all the nerve endings in my brain because how this game works 
Um, so there's basically, like, you boot up the game. There's basically, once you beat the tutorial, like James was talking about, you have access to two main modes. Uh, like, it's, it's like you go to the main menu, and, it's, and it asks you, do you want to do this, or do you want to do that? Uh, and you can choose uh, Destruction, which is, like, Battles. It's, uh, it, they're kind of like, uh, kind of like tower defense, uh, real time what would you call strategy, it? Real-time strategy, yeah. Uh, you, you, you're controlling, uh, you're controlling different pilots who are piloting these giant mecha, um, and you're choosing abilities. Like, okay, do you want your mech to run over there and punch that giant monster? Do you want it to kind of hang back and shoot long-range missiles? You're, you're kind of, you're kind of doing that kind of stuff. And it, it, the battles are fine. Like, I'm, I'm enjoying them. They're not super engaging it's not like uh it's not like into the breach where you have to really go like galaxy brain you're solving these these really intricate puzzles it's kind of like spam missiles is more or less what yeah it is. i think this game realizes that most people will play it for the narrative and so yes. the, the the combat bit is kind of a flashy fun not filler because it is important um, it is important into the story but it's kind of a thing to do when you're starting to feel the fatigue of playing another five hours of story exactly that's oh my gosh that's the perfect way to put it because the real the real draw of this game is you you go to the other main menu thing which is uh they call it remembrance uh and all, what you are doing is it gives you the, it gives you to access to as many protagonists as you have unlocked you don't start with all 13 of them right off the go you start off with just a handful uh, for example, say you want to start with uh, Juro Karabe, uh, who's uh, just like your your average uh, plucky schoolboy. He's got kind of like a kind of like your standard. Uh, he's just a he's just your he's just a high school kid being thrust into an unfamiliar situation. The unfamiliar situation being the apocalypse of the entire Earth, uh, and it's kind of like, oh my gosh, what do I what do I do? How do I how do I navigate this thing? And as you're going through his story, you're 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 running into characters, you're running into your classmates, you're running into your teachers, you're running into to different characters who are kind of like saying a couple things to you and then disappearing. And it's like, okay, that character is probably important. Next thing you know, you can choose, like, for example, uh, you can choose his classmate, uh, Yori Fu Fuyasaka, and I apologize if I'm butchering these names, who's uh, just a classmate of Juro. But uh, as James alluded to, scenes that Juro experiences where it's like him talking to a character and then that character leaves. If you're suddenly experiencing the same scene from Iori's perspective, maybe you follow that character who leaves and you find out what they're up to. So it's like, it, it becomes this, the narrative becomes this this network of, of uh, characters. Like, okay, you've seen, the, you've seen the Charlie Day and the cork board with the red string all over it, right? Like from, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you're all familiar with what I'm talking about. Like the, the crazy dude trying to to map That's out exactly this impossible... This That's exactly what this game is. Like <laughs> to, to a large degree is... Okay, because not only are you dealing with... Okay, there's, there's this network of characters who are all interacting with each other. So amplify that by... Not only are there... There's, you know, not just 13 characters. There's like... Because there's ancillary characters too who are not the main protagonists. But like you have to keep those characters in mind, Right. So you have this network of characters, and then on top of that, you have this network of characters in different timelines. So, for example, there's an entire storyline set in 1985. There's an entire storyline set in the 1940s, like during the time the atomic bombs dropped um, in Japan. Fast forward to the future, you've got stuff going on in 2187, the far future with like space colonies and shit. So... And it's all the same characters somehow. I'm not gonna just no story spoilers, but like these characters exist across multiple timelines, 
uh, through, I don't know if you want to call it magic or science fiction or whatever you want to call it. So imagine all these different characters transported across multiple timelines. So there's a mystery at the heart of this game. Okay, the mystery is, what the hell is happening? And it is so incredibly engaging to try to figure out just what's going on. Like, you'll be progressing through a character's uh, storyline. You'll see a character, and you'll be like, wait a second, I thought that character only existed in the 40s. What are they doing in the 80s? So it's like, you have that, that bug in your brain of like, how the hell did they get here to this timeline? You finally talk to them. And then they'll, they'll reveal a truth that like shifts the entire game on its axis. So you've got characters across multiple timelines, right? It's figuring out the mystery at the heart of 13 Sentinels is one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had in a story-based game. And I, and I, I love story-based games, to be clear. I love a visual novel. I've played a lot of those. I've played a lot of point-and-click adventures. But the way it's presented and the way it's the way you the player navigates through all these different storylines is just like it's it's a it's a, truly astounding i think so when you were talking about experiencing a scene from two different perspectives and you used a pretty early game example of just you know different classmate you get slightly different dialogue it's sort of underselling the fact that it gets crazy later on you get <laughs> cases where you see a scene and you barely understand what's going on. It's it's you know borderline incoherent. There there's stuff going there's like sci-fi stuff going on, where you're like, I have no idea. Please give me some more context. And then three hours later, you'll be playing a different character's story, and all of a sudden, it just gives you the context to that previous scene, and it clicks in your head, and you realize, oh my god, this game is incredibly smart and incredibly clever, and understands the the joy of piecing things together slowly over time rather than just telling a story in a very simplistic way. I completely agree with you, James. The, the game, truthfully, lets the player figure a lot out. It, it's like, I, rarely has a, have I played a game, or hell, read a book for that matter, or watched a movie, where the game is just like, all right, here is a ton of information, and then just kind of like lets you figure it out. Uh, the way it doesn't hold your hand is very unusual, especially for for a video game. Like I, I think we we've all 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 four of us have played enough games where the protagonist just spoon feeds you information every five seconds. Like e even stuff like listen, don't get me wrong, I love Uncharted, I love Horizon, like these yeah. these big Sony exclusives. But oh my gosh, do they feel obliged to just really nail every expository piece of information they possibly can it, like <laughs> the amount of times uh, Aloy in, in a Horizon game on PlayStation will just be like huh I guess I should go and, and do this thing is really like kind of kind of annoying yeah. to it becomes kind of comical after a while like, it's yeah, kind of comical hey, after a while I'm a it, huge fan of the Horizon games but sometimes you realize did you really need to say as many as those of those lines as you did yeah, exactly. And the way 13 Sentinels like it does what exactly what you just said. I I love that half the time I'm like I don't know I don't understand what's happening. Like like you as the player kind of feel like you're missing something, but the dialogue is yeah. well written enough and the game like trusts the player enough to piece things together on its own even if that, you know, even if that in seemingly inconsequential piece of dialogue from 2 hours earlier suddenly comes into focus 
like way the hell later. It's like it's such a satisfying feeling. Um, there, there is another uh, outside of the remembrance and the destruction main menu pieces. There is another thing, which is uh, a portion just called analysis, where the player can just kind of go over and just try to connect the dots as best they can. It just kind of lays out all the information you found so far, whether that's a character's name or like an item that you found or like something significant that happened in the year 1945. It, it kind of like presents all the information that you've encountered thus far and lets the player sort of do with that information yeah. what they will, you know? It's a supplementary uh, to the main story. As, as, yes. as From what I remember you have access to a an entirely chronological series of events that fills out as you play more of the game. So yes. if you are confused about what's going on, if you do have these burning questions that need to be answered now and not later, you can go and have a look at a lot of the analysis stuff. You can you can do a bit of background reading and you can start to put more of the pieces together before you continue. Exactly. And it's extremely helpful uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's all up to the player. You know, it's it is it is not spoon fed to you. You do have to like go in and like okay, I gotta I gotta put I gotta read this information in the in the proper order. And the best part is when you go to that screen, like if you haven't discovered something yet, it just it just shows up as a question mark. So if you're like okay, I want to go chronological, yeah. and you see like twenty question marks in a row, it's like well, damn, I I guess I don't know what that thing is yet. Um, and the and like you gotta trust the game. You will encounter those those events at some point, but it won't give it to you up front. It's it's uh, it is one of those cases where the questions that you have will be answered before the credits roll, and it yeah. is often quite anxiety inducing. In a case of is this story actually going to make sense by the end, or is it just a bunch of sci-fi anime infused gibberish <laughs> that's trying to look like a really good coherent story? And in the case of 13 Sentinels, I have beaten the game, so I'm qualified, exclusively qualified, to say that, yes, it, it is coherent. <laughs> it does make sense. Yeah, that is and, good. <laughs> thank you for yeah, the and, exclusive authority on this. Yeah, and, and to, to piggyback off that, off, that, off that statement, James, okay, so when you begin this game, you might be like, oh, shit, I am in for some sci-fi nonsense. I am in for some anime oh, yeah. nonsense, because this game is anime as hell. Uh, it's heavily inspired by both anime and sci-fi tropes. A hundred percent. And uh, truthfully, I love that the 13 Sentinels wears its influences on its sleeve. If you've watched uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, you know what this game is. If you oh, have <laughs> seen the classic Spielberg film E.T., you know what you yeah. are in for. Uh, that's a combination right there. <laughs> if you have read The War of the that's Worlds by H.G. Wells. Absolutely. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, it sounds ridiculous, but every word he's saying is true. Okay, the, the more references you add in, the less coherent the seems. That, listen, <laughs> and it sounds like it's going to be some over-the-top nonsense, or, or like if you've watched any kind of, like, um, again, I, I apologize, I don't know the name. There, there is a name for this, but I don't know the name of it. In anime, there's a name for, like, high school romance dramas. Uh this game is packed full of that. It's like, there's a lot of like, oh, will they, won't they? There's a lot of like, oh, that character wants to confess their love to that character, but they can't do it yet. It's like, there is so much of that in this game. And yet, somehow, there is this very deep and compelling mystery at the heart of it all. Uh, this game talks about like, 
damn, was the American atomic bombing of Japan during World War II justified? Like, it gets into oh some God. real <laughs> shit oh. that you would Again, not expect. This is true. Is, it, 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 is this a great, game where, though. as an American, you can feel comfortable playing it, or do you realize the evils of the American Empire? Oh, listen, it's deeply uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> nice, as an American, nice. I could say, listen, James, this you can ignore this part of the conversation, but as an American, <laughs> deeply uncomfortable for a lot of the uh, a lot of this game. Uh, to yeah, be clear, there's a fair amount of it set in 1945. So yeah, exactly. Nice, nice. There's there's a lot of like, there's a part where oh my, and again. Not to get deep into spoilers, and that's the other thing. I don't even know if I can say that I'm spoiling this game because anything that I say will not matter if you play this game because you will not understand what I'm saying. <laughs> like, uh, it's very a part... easy and very hard to spoil this game. Exactly. There, there's a por- and uh, if you do care about spoilers, maybe skip forward like 30 seconds or something. Uh, there is a portion of this game uh, where a character from 1945, a schoolboy from 1945. Uh, is somehow transported to 1985, and he is freaking out. He does not know what has happened. Uh, so he he wakes up in a in another uh, in a bedroom of a, of another boy, and so he's he's kind of exploring this kid's bedroom, being like, "Where where the hell am I?" He's looking at records. He's looking at a TV, being like, "TV, what the hell is this?" Like, I guess we had TVs in 1945, but this is playing a baseball game. Like, what the hell? He finds a calendar. Does not understand what he's looking at. He sees the date that the calendar was manufactured, 1985. I don't understand. He finds a history book in this guy's bedroom, starts leafing through it, and is horrified, horrified at what he's finding. He's reading about the Japan's unconditional surrender at the hands of the two atomic bombs that were dropped. Does not understand what he's reading. Um, reads about the Tokyo Olympics in the 60s and, be, and, and is, and is f- filled with pride, but also confusion, being like, okay, I, I guess we hosted the Olympics at some point. I don't really understand what that means. It, it's like, and this scene takes place in a couple of minutes, right? It's not this overwrought uh, thing. This, this takes place uh, uh, pretty, pretty rapidly overall because all of these story sections that we, James and I are talking about are bite-sized, you can complete a story segment in five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, if it's a particularly lengthy, you know, there's a lot of dialogue or something. Um, that's kind of the beauty of this game, is that it is, you're getting these, you're getting chunks of story that are condensed and easily easily digestible. Even if they're not immediately comprehensible, you can, you can digest them in just a couple of minutes of time, which makes it, in my opinion, a perfect Switch game. Um, like one of the th- one of the reasons we're talking about this game on this podcast is because it, it's it's coming to Switch in about a week, and uh, I know a lot of people who have been very excited that this game is coming to to this platform because it's like I don't even know how to describe it. Like I don't know how you guys play games. I hate playing this kind of a game on a TV. Like it's difficult yeah, for me to sit yeah. still. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that understand. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the fact that this game, because a lot of this, a lot of Thirteen Sentinels is sitting and listening to dialogue, and like it's it's the dialogue is good and it's well written, and uh, I'm listening to the the Japanese voice cast and they they are just killing it. Uh, the English voice cast, uh, maybe not so much, but uh, I, think I played it with the English voices and I quite like it. It's it's okay, it's okay. I, I think I mean, some characters are a little a little overwrought. 
Uh, but, but what the else Japanese do you expect wo- for an English dub of a it, sort of anime it, it, game? So honestly, yeah, I recognized at least a few voices from you know like the Persona series, and I realized yes. that they, you know they're using the same voice actors again. Who are well, this game is made by um, Atlas, right? Yes, published by Atlas. Yeah, published by Atlas. So that makes sense. So it, yeah. It's not surprising that they would use yeah. some of some similar voice actors exactly. Uh, but that said, it's the perfect the way is the way that the game is constructed. It just it just lends itself so well to the switch. Like being able to knock out a chapter or two story segments, like in your bed, cozied up, or like in a comfortable chair. Uh, being able to just and even the I know we kind of skipped over the battle segments. Battles themselves are over in yeah. minutes. Like the, the, every battle has a timer. Those timers are two minutes, three minutes. You know, so the battles are meant to be short. It's perfect for Switch. Like, I, if you guys have a commute, if you're if you're on the, I don't know if you uh, you take the tube ever, James, but it's like it's 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 perfect to, to take this game on the Switch, knock out a battle or two on the subway or on a bus or something. I don't know. It's oh yeah, because whether yeah. it's the combat or the story, you can do you can make progress in ten minutes, right? You mm-hmm. because each character, each of the thirteen characters has a percentage completion under it, and by the end yes. of the game, it'll all be at a hundred percent. None of it is like missable. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you can raise a, a percentage of somebody's story or more than one person's story in like these ten minute segments. Some of them, you know, it's very digestible, even though it's a big intimidating game that takes you like forty hours to finish. Yeah, it still feels like yeah, you can tackle it bit by bit. And it, and it feel it, it's I, I love what you just said. It never feels like you are in over your head, even though it is a massive, massive game. At the end of the day, again, this game's been out for a couple of years. It's I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's like yeah, this is a forty plus hour uh, game. It's a forty plus hour adventure. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that like you can you can take it chunk by chunk and not feel like you are in for this prolonged experience yeah. you know and also you know so there, there are certain things to clear up like how um a lot of it is blocked behind sort of progress barriers where in order to unlock a certain character's story you have to have reached certain prerequisites in other stories you can't just zero to a hundred percent each character one by one to sort of methodically completionist it that way you have to like play along with the flow of the game and 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 it means that you're hopping between different character stories much more often which i think keeps it more interesting because you're not just stuck in the same person's story that might not be that interesting by itself i agree and and it and it encourages you like the game forces you to to branch out a little bit which is kind of nice like a lot of games, like obviously, player choice is is very important in in any given video game. But I I appreciate the Thirteen Sentinels really forces you kind of out of your comfort zone. Like you might be like, oh, I'm super compelled by the, you know, by the by the '80s character. I want to see what they're doing in the '80s. But it's like at a certain point, like as James just said, you're gonna hit a lock. You're gonna hit a gate where it's like, okay, you cannot progress this story until you meet this character or until you hit this story event in someone else's story yeah uh which is great like i think i think it's it it makes it makes you it forces you if you want to get through the entire main story it forces you to uh to kind of experiment with other people which is great i think it mostly does this for coherence's sake i think because some characters stories evolve and um 
you're only supposed to see the last quarter of their story in the last quarter of the game so they, they block it off and they say no 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 you've got to wait for that it's it's going to be exciting and it usually is but you know you have to build up the other characters as well because they might be in some, some of these scenes the development that you're coming across the plot twists because god there are plot twists will you know <laughs> will be relevant later on so even though it might be frustrating to think oh i want to play as the actually the 1945 guy who who supposedly time travels to the 80s as you mentioned is one of my favorite characters he becomes obsessed with street food at one point <laughs> um, it's, it's brilliant the game is quite funny sometimes Yaki, yakisoba pan yeah he, the, the whole yakisoba pan angel thing is is fantastic and i love that character so much yeah but yeah you can't just binge that one story because the later parts of the story require knowledge from other bits for it to make sense which is part of that whole coming together slowly it's coalescing into something that i think it's safe to say ends up being greater than the sum of its parts even if it takes quite a lot of understanding yeah it's uh I don't know. It's it's a very satisfying game. Uh, when when, uh, when Mark mentioned a couple of weeks ago, like, hey, this game is coming to Switch. Does anyone want to take a look at it? I, I jumped at the chance because I, I have been hearing nothing but great things about this game. If you if you go on Goomba Stomp right now, um, one of our other writers, uh, Matthew uh, Pontier, wrote a incredible review about this game. And like ever, ever since reading that, I've been like, I am so intrigued by what the hell this game could possibly look like. And uh, having having finally uh, experienced, and it, to be clear, I have not beaten this game yet. Um, I haven't even unlocked all thirteen protagonists yet. Yeah, it, it is a it is a chunky game, uh, but I'm like just I'm so compelled. I I did not think I would love it as much as I do, but like I I love it. I'm and and I've played. Listen, I have played almost every Vanillaware game. I have played Dragon's Crown. I have played Ramasa Rebirth. I have played Odin Sphere. I've played Grim Grimoire. None of them have hooked me the way that this game has. And I think that is a testament to the storytelling and the writing um, in this game. It is very, very good. Um, that it said, I would... It has I, its cult following, yeah. It's, the, yes. I, I looked at the sales figures earlier on, um, and I think it, it hit half a million, so it's definitely not like a... It's not just a niche thing. But the sure. people who love it really, really love it, and they tell all of their friends about it. Yes, well, and that's that's the beautiful thing, right? Like, like so few games have that word of mouth factor anymore. You know, we we were just talking about E three earlier, and 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 so much of of like the video game industry is driven by hype, and like we got this movie star to do motion capture for our game or whatever, and this game purely is just like it's all word of mouth, and I think that is yeah really wonderful. Uh, it was even nominated. Games. Yeah, go no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, it's one of those games where after you beat it, you, you feel like you have all of this cursed knowledge in your head that you must impart onto the nearest other person who's also played it. I started like searching for friends who are also playing it just to say, we need to talk about this game, right? Otherwise, yeah, I can't just keep all of this to myself. It's so good. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, and, and now, I listen, this is the, the start of that cursed knowledge, me having to tell people about... Uh, in this case, it's Campbell and Mark um, about so, this game. Does that I mean I'll have it to, on my wish list? Does that mean yeah. I'll have to tell somebody about this game after this podcast? I would say after you start playing it, you will be compelled okay. to. Okay, yeah. so 
it'll be like I'm the ancient mariner or something. I have to go and tell somebody else about my that, That's that's gotcha. how it works. Yeah, it's gotcha. kind of it's like it's like the ring, right? Like you got to uh, keep yeah. telling. You know, yeah. that's a much more relevant reference. Thank you. Uh, or, or like it, it's like it follows or something, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think it's safe to say that most of the people who've picked this game up have picked it up because it's been recommended by other people that they know, rather than you know the trailers, the marketing, because there hasn't there wasn't that much hype around it apart from it having the atlas name on it you know and I, and you know atlas hasn't missed in like a decade so i, I already knew that it was going to be good when i saw that but even then i had friends who were saying you got to pick up this game it's really good yeah well i, I think we're i think I, I i could safely say that all of us on this podcast are like atlas fans and mark's mark's like a diehard persona guy i uh, love yes, persona same. 5 <laughs> persona 5 royal is so i could talk about that game anytime and strikers same. It's all so as, good. listen as soon as persona 5 royal comes to switch <laughs> i get to play oh, it again how long can wait for that It'll come i can't up. even finish the thought i can't even finish the sentence um <laughs> To be um, fair, they got this game on Switch and, you know, PS4 exclusive, yeah, so... Possible. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's, like, such a huge thing that I, I don't know how much effort it would take. I f you know what, though, dude? I feel like they could do it. Like, they could, as Mark just alluded to, to I would love to see them do it. I think it would be such a perfect fit. Uh, I think Strikers running perfectly, so it's not like there's, you know... I know Strikers is a different type of game, but it also has, like, those Persona-type... Uh, overworlds and the calendar and stuff like that so i do think there's a or not a calendar in a sense like the traditional persona way but the persona elements are there you know fair enough um so yeah not, not to get too off topic um this game rules um it uh, it's it's a delight it is it will make you you the player feel very smart um it is very fun it is often funny um i think Okay, here's the last thing I'll say about it is uh, we, we've alluded to it a little bit. There is a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of anime stuff in this game. Um, Absolutely. If you if you don't like dealing with like, you know, high school protagonists, you know, teenage characters and all, and all the drama that they get up to, like, obviously there is a lot of that. Um, it does tell a very like adult um, story. And by adult story, I just mean like like high level, high concept. It, obviously, it does have that at its heart. Um but if you're not ready to deal with, like, you know, anime tropes, like, obviously there is a lot of that in this game. Um, I, I don't think they detract from the experience in any way, shape, or form. But I would say be prepared for that. If, uh, if you've never played an Atlas or a Vanillaware game before, like, just be aware that, that there is, those, those tropes are very present. Um, yeah, I, I think anime tropes can can be a double-edged sword depending on yeah what what sort of tropes they're talking about. But um, sure. 13, 13 Sentinels hits way more than it misses. I would say I can't remember any any scenes that was sort of made me uncomfortable in the sense of having like Japan tropes that I didn't that I that I don't know like seeing I, I, in these I, kinds of games. Exactly, I, I I agree with you. I think that the uh, the positives far outweigh any yeah. any uncomfortability that you that you might feel. Just like you might like roll your eyes at a couple moments. Like there's definitely like like for example that nineteen forty that nineteen forties character who who comes to the eighties like suddenly can't help himself from commenting on like wow a lot of the girls here are showing a lot of leg. Like it's like all right like there's there's like yeah. some stuff like that you know, but it I don't think it's like. It doesn't break the game in any way. It's it's not like it's like a couple lines of dialogue here and there, you know. 
I'd have to play it again to sort to confirm that. But from what I remember, yeah, I I I didn't come away from it thinking, well, they really shouldn't have put this scene in it, or you know. Exactly. There, there's nothing like particularly egregious in that regard. Um, it's it's just it's it's a it's a phenomenal effort. Uh, this game, not not that the game awards like mean anything. Like I, you know, award shows are their own kind of special brand of BS. This game did get nominated for a Best Narrative at the Game Awards uh, the year that it came out. So, like, t take from that uh, what you will. Uh, the narrative is extremely compelling and uh, definitely a reason to play this game. Um, we should probably wrap it there, just because James and I have been yelling about 13 Sentinels for about half an hour now. So we should probably... <laughs> we we got an hour longer. Uh, we listen. Uh, I I can't, listen. Perhaps maybe we'll do like a spoiler cast in the future. Like once I've, like, you know, invested the full fifty hours or however long it takes to complete this game. But we should probably table the discussion there for now. Oh yeah, we're gonna for take sure. We yeah we, we gotta draw the so line. So many spoilers point. in it. That yeah, that should be a separate thing. Yeah, it should. I completely agree with you. Um, so we're Cameron, table why do you keep adding games to my backlog? <laughs> uh, sorry, buddy. Listen, you, you listen, Mark. We are all all of us are guilty. Every time we go on this podcast, it's like, man, have you played this game? Or like, I find myself on eBay buying a used copy of something that I had no intention of playing. Uh, so I listen. We we are all complicit in making each other play different games. And we're also uh, building up a backlog of spoiler casts to do as well. So <laughs> we got a spoiler cast of this. We got to do a spoiler cast for Kirby. We've been mm -hmm. meaning to Hades. do that Xenoblade one and Hades mm -hmm. for like a year and a half now. Yeah, so that's like, true. really. Yeah, we gotta get on that. <laughs> Listen, we're just planning. We're just planning for the future. Uh, so let, let's let's uh, let's table that discussion of Thirteen Sentinels. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're gonna come back for a quick indie snippet, indie show. What are we calling it? Indie? What's it called? Indie spotlights. <laughs> Whatever the heck the name of that segment we've been doing ever since we started the show. Only sixty right. episodes. In. <laughs> yeah, you know, indie spotlight. We're gonna come Actually, right it's back. Seventy-three episodes. Seventy-three. <laughs> some some amount of episodes so stay tuned we'll be right back have an indie spotlight for you all 
Uh, Mark and I played the game A Memoir Blue, uh, mm-hmm. the latest from Annapurna Interactive, uh, the kind of the premier, the premier like I don't know, like indie publisher. I guess you could call it. They're always publishing these very beautiful, very evocative indie games. Uh, Mark, why don't you tell us about your experience with this game? Yeah, so Memoir Blue is an interesting case because it's less so of a game and more so of like a short film that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. There, it is a puzzle game in a sense. There are a few puzzles to figure out, but they're very simplistic in a way where usually it's like, you know, getting ice cubes out of a cup or like painting a wall or turning on a radio. Like there's nothing, you know, mind bending or something that's going to make you actually like think a lot. Unless if you're on a platform outside of Switch and you're aiming to get like the 100% trophies nonsense and all that. There is really no reason to find the secrets in this game, which there are a few and they're kind of neat, but it's like, there's nothing that's like mind blowing or like, Oh, you have to go out of your way to see this. But a memoir blue is about um, a girl and her mother and how their relationship has evolved over time. And sort of the girl going through her past and sort of accepting her reality and moving forward. And the story could be deeper, but visually, A Memoir Blue is super nice to just play through. It's very cinematic, and it's very just gorgeous to look at, and that's really the big draw of it. But, you know, it's a game that can last you 30 minutes to an hour, and you go sure. through um, the girl's entire story. I'm forgetting her name, which is not even mentioned in the game because there's actually not even a word spoken in this game. The only way you could find the main character's name was actually in the press release, which yeah. is insane to me. Well, but clearly all players for the game have access to the press release. Press release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, Mark, I completely agree with you. Um, it is less of a less of a game. Short film is a perfect way to describe it. A short mm-hmm. film or like a tone piece, maybe. Yeah, they say it's based off a poem that the creator oh. of the game wrote, but... You know, they just des- oh. they describe the game as being the poem adapted into a game, but they never mention like the poem. <laughs> that is so interesting. Like you it's, think it it's would an interesting show case. Up in the, yeah, show up in the credits or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I get what the game's trying to do, and it does have a heartfelt ending, and it like has a very nice story. But I just wish it was like deeper. This feels like the blueprint for something bigger, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. But in terms of should you buy this game, it's a bit of a complicated question because I feel like this is something perfect to watch on YouTube and be like, wow, it's like a cool experience. But I don't think it's something unless, again, if you're a trophy hunter on a platform like PlayStation or Xbox and you like going after like the Platinums and stuff like that and adding it to your list, it'll definitely be worth it on that end. But, you know, I can't give this game like a recommended purchase at full price because it's tricky yeah it, it's, it's like, in a tricky well, scenario it's 30 yeah. minutes to an hour long if you're on a platform like switch there's no reason to go for the extra content if you even want to call it that they're just like little alternate ways to like do the puzzles to see like a little animation or something they're not even like you know drastically huge or anything like that mm-hmm. so it, it's in this tricky scenario but it's like i really want to recommend it because i enjoyed my time with it but at the same time it's just something that I can't recommend someone like buy for like ten to fifteen dollars even. 
right. you know if i can just hop in real quick uh you said that it was something that might be fitting to just watch on youtube right um is yes. there anything that's added to the experience so like when as opposed to if you're watching a youtube video it's a passive thing it's like watching an actual short movie but if you're actually playing the game is there anything we see that's why that's why i compare it to a short movie no i i really don't think so campbell and that's why okay. i really say this is like watching a short film and it's like an engaging one it's visually it's very gorgeous you know the yeah, music we, we is should, great in it and, but... and we should i want to i want to interrupt you for a second mark the animation uh in this game is really good yes uh, it blends a... two styles together yes, there are hand-drawn characters a... that tell the there past and then the present is portrayed in the typical 3d animated art style so it blends the two together but they're blended together so naturally like i said it's like a blueprint for something better or not something better but something bigger and it's just so it flows so naturally you know pun intended because it's water the, around the game but huh. yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, Mark, what so are like, you talking about? Ooh, God, you just had to open the door for him. Yeah, I had to uh, open the floodgates for it. Oh, oh it, it, he, he just keeps going. He just keeps on going. Um, I, I keep spouting them out. Okay, I'm oh God, help! Help! Somebody! Somebody! Plug You're drowning up. in um, them. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm derailing things. Uh, Gain lost at sea of puns. Okay. Anyway, anyway. Um, so yeah, so the, I think the animation is is really it was really uh, beautiful, especially mm-hmm. when it there's a point at the very end uh, where the player character uh, transitions from a 3D model into a 2D animated character, and it's like it's actually very uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Um, yeah, it's very well done. It's a very it's, it's, yeah. It's a good transition, and story-wise, once you understand the full context, it's uh, yeah, it, it kind of yeah. works. But but Campbell, to to, to kind of speak to your point, I I don't know that this game gains a lot from being a game. Um, it doesn't. That's the thing. It feels like yeah. a well-directed short film that could expand on its story, but it's like. Again, like I want to say, if you have the opportunity to play it, especially if you have something like Game Pass and you could just Game Pass, you know, load it up for an hour and just play yeah. it, like do it. But it, it's not something I could just go and say, like, go buy it unless if it's on sale, right? You and know, and, and if it, and even if it's yeah. on sale, I'm gonna say like it's got to be for like a deep cut, you know? It's it's tough. It's 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 one of the it's 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 the not to, to stumble over my words here, but it is the the delicate dance we play uh, because we we are very fortunate, the four of us and everybody who writes at the website, to have access to a lot of these games for, uh, if not for free, then and then like at the very least we 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 have like kind of an elevated access to them. Um, we often get review codes or, or you know early opportunities to play to play games, and uh, in some respects that is a privileged position. Um, but Mark, I think you're doing a good job of explaining like, well, here's where I'm coming from and here's how like the average consumer might view this game. And I, I kind, mm-hmm. I kind of, I think I'm inclined to agree with you and that like, you know, if you have disposable income and you have an hour to kill, like go nuts. If you have game pass and you have a weekend free, like absolutely you can beat this game and the time it takes to, to, you know, watch an episode of, a TV, like, a, <laughs> a TV show. A TV show. Episode it's, of this podcast. And cast, yeah, <laughs> literally, literally. Uh, less, wow. less time than to listen to an episode of this. Especially podcast. if you're referring to our Kirby Extravaganza last <laughs> week. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's 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 uh, it, it's uh, it's difficult to recommend for 
for those who are like, looking for like I, you know I've only I have a, a very a small budget to, to spend on video games and I want something that's gonna mm-hmm. be like really fulfilling it's like i would say you know pick up 13 sentinels uh aegis rim on the switch (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying i just looked it up on the eShop. this game is currently going for eight dollars on switch Mm. which is not bad that's not that's not too bad yeah it isn't bad too bad because like look i can go to starbucks and get coffee for four dollars you know it's like that gives me like like 20 minutes of enjoyment so campbell if you starve your you know your morning thirst for two mornings straight you can uh Mark, pick up I a will memoir not blue. wake up if I do that. <laughs> I, I need to be alive in order he to spend eight dollars on memoir blue. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but I think I think uh, overall, I'm 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 kind of leaning more towards towards what you're saying here, Mark. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of those games where I think it's kind of along the lines of something like Gris. Uh, or, or Grease, yeah, or however certainly. you pronounce that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like it's a very evocative, very very uh, artistically beautiful. Uh, game, but it has even less to do than that yes. game, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, like if you're if you're gonna compare the two, I think Gris offers you a little bit more bang for your buck in terms of like there are puzzles to solve, uh, there's platforming to do, whereas this game mm-hmm. doesn't really have that. Um, it kind of reminded yeah, me of What it's... Remains of Edith Finch if you've played that. Yeah, that is it's a good a comparison, game. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of more more of like a emotional story focused kind of thing but yeah i think at the end of the day i i i think it's it's a fun time but don't like you know don't worry about like missing this one you know if you have a limited mm-hmm. budget you know you, you can you can skip this if one you out. have access to it for like a buck or two or like yeah. it's on game pass again yeah like, give it give it an hour you know it sure. only takes yeah. an hour to be hour to 100 percent even so yeah just and, go and, for it. and the, the the i think the the final thing i would say about mm-hmm. it is that is it's not a frustrating hour no, you know, it is not it's at not, all. <laughs> right, like I, I've played some indie games. I played some some games in this style that are unfortunately frustrating. Where it's like, dang it, mm-hmm. I, I know what you're trying to achieve. Like I know you're trying to give me this emotional, evocative experience, and you're not doing that. And I think this game like hits what it's trying to do. I think for the mm-hmm. most part, I think this game has some really high moments of storytelling, yeah. especially yeah. the opening. But then I also think it has moments that are just slow and a bit just you know mundane and. I just kind of wish there was more substance to the story. That's my big flaw with the game. Because there's nothing, like, I don't really have anything to, like, really hit hard complain about. But, you know, for what it is, it's a good time. Yeah. I think that's about uh, all there is to say about uh, a memoir blue. And you can check out Mark's uh, excellent little write-up about a memoir Mm -hmm. blue over on Goombastomp.com. Um... We should probably call it there. We've been talking for a long time. I've been your host, Cameron Dax, and you can find some of my writing over on Goombastomp.com. I'm also <laughs> I'm also available on Twitter at Action Daxon. Uh, some of my recent articles on Goombastomp, I wrote up a little a little blurb about the switch port of 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. I've been writing a lot about Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, the PlayStation exclusive slash uh, Windows PC game. So I guess not really a PlayStation exclusive at all. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Do with that a visually. Console you will. exclusive. A console exclusive, except not really. Uh, and Mark, oh, where can no. people find you on the internet? You can find me at the Markel. That of course is Mark with the C, Cal the K. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram right now. Up on Kumastop.com. You can find my writing for Kirby, ranking every single game in the franchise. We talked about that last week with Eliza. Went over our whole list. But if you also just want to look at spinoffs or mainline, you can look at those. Uh, I'll have more Kirby coverage coming up. The codes, the present codes. 
if you kind of want all 16 and you don't want to go to a guide that has only five IGN, update yours, you know, get the hint <laughs> from Sub last three, week, you know, pay your writers more. You can find all 16 of those lovely present codes over on Goombastomp.com currently. Love it. And Campbell, <laughs> where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at CampbellSkill, uppercase CSG. And if you want to read some of my indie games rambling and Kirby games rambling and all that good stuff, check out GoombaStomp.com. I'll have a review up for Kirby and the Forgotten Land out soon. I'll also have a brand new indie game spotlight up this coming weekend, so stay tuned for those. I'm always looking forward to your indie spotlights. Uh, James Cook, thank you so much for joining us from several time zones away and in the middle of the night. It, w- what an utter delight to talk to you about 13 Sentinels and just ha- oh, like it's my you, pleasure. Ben, you, you have such a such an excellent, distinct way of explaining mechanics and games, and it's just it's a, it is a delight to have you um, on this podcast and to have your writing over on uh, over on the website. So where where can people find you on social media? Anything you want to shout out? Feel free. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at sacguna 63 uh, The link is also in my um, Goomba Stomp author profile. Look up James Cook on GoombaStomp.com. Check out everything I've written already about, you know, games like Horizon Forbidden West, Elden Ring, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, and soon in the next couple of weeks, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, which is which will be available on Switch, but I will not be playing it on Switch. <laughs> how dare you how dare you <laughs> uh, it's okay we'll give, we'll give you a pass this time uh, of course N-Express is also on Twitter we're at N-Express Nintendo and we're available to download and listen to and rate and review and all of those things on the podcast platform of your choice N-Express Nintendo Podcast thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time mm-hmm.